The big day is almost here, and by the time you hear this, maybe you'll already be in the thick of it all with finishing up your gift wrapping, starting in on the cooking. Maybe you've already started to gather with friends and family and you're celebrating and reminiscing. So now is the perfect time to share this episode dedicated to your Christmas memories. One of the most consistent pieces of feedback I get about the show is that people love hearing your memories. It gives them a glimpse into how other people enjoy and remember the holiday, and it evokes a warm, nostalgic atmosphere. And so, for the second year in a row, I have the good fortune to present this kind of special episode to you, something that I hope I'll be able to continue doing for many seasons to come. Well, why not get right into it? And speaking of getting a glimpse into how others celebrate, I've always loved learning about Christmas in other parts of the world. And I'm lucky to have gotten a taste of Christmas in the Bahamas, Iceland, and India. Yeah, there's Christmas in India, but that's a story for another time. One place I know next to nothing about is Denmark, so let's let Johanny give us a glimpse. I'm Johanny, and I come from a little town in Denmark. In my family, we always eat duck and sugar-roasted potatoes and red cabbage <laughs> for the Christmas dinner. And after that, we eat a rice pudding for dessert, where my mom hid a whole almond inside. And whoever gets that whole almond gets a present. After dinner, we sing and dance around the Christmas tree, and then we open our presents. I think it takes about three hours to open all our presents, and we're only four in my family. But we have this word in Denmark called hygge, like cozy. And I think that's why it takes so long, because we just sit and talk and hear Christmas music and look at each other, open the presents. We just really enjoy it. So that was a little bit of Christmas from Denmark. I hope you enjoyed it. So have a nice holiday and bye from Denmark. Actually, that hidden almond is based on a very old tradition. It was common on Twelfth Night to hide something in a cake, and whoever's slice contained it would preside over the evening's festivities. Thanks, Johanny, and you stay cozy. And since we're on very old traditions, you don't need me to tell you that the Christmas we celebrate is a combination of very old and very new, and many of those very new ones are regional traditions, as Paul in England shares. Christmas occupies my mind all of the time, how we got to where we are. So the memory I wanted to share with you is uh, a tradition we do in our village uh, for Boxing Day. So the day after Christmas Day over here, we have Boxing Day. Everything closes, and in our little village, the streets close as well. So we have six pubs, we have one church, the whole village closes down, and the whole village turns out on foot to celebrate the pram race, which is uh, this bizarre thing that is very particular to this one village where I live. But everyone dresses up uh, in lots of bizarre uh, uh, outfits uh, to, to have little teams pushing prams around the village. You have to go to each pub. You have to have one drink in each pub. There are six. And everyone dresses up in something topical and satirical. So this year it will be Trump and Brexit. But we've been doing it for decades. And that's been a marvellous thing to do. Uh, adding to that as well recently, I've started going to a Twelfth Night Mummers play in our local pub. And this is going back even further, going back about a thousand years doing these Mummers plays since the medieval days over here and it's great you get old-fashioned carols a wassail bowl passed around and they bless the pub by daubing a bit of cider on the ceiling uh, it's a beautiful tradition and I just wish more people uh, would adhere to it and go along to a, a pub I don't know if you're gonna have many of these in America don't know how many pubs you got over there I don't know if the sports bars have many mummers plays but you should really start adding those that'll be a really good thing thanks wish you a Merry Christmas 
And just in case you need a little English-to-English -English translation, a pram is a baby stroller. Paul is a comedian and the author of Hark! A Biography of Christmas. And I've been meaning to do an episode about Mummer's plays. They were once a very common tradition in other English-speaking parts of the world at Christmas, but they never quite made it to America. I'd love to see one for myself someday. Okay, let's move from one part of the world to another. Amber in Tallahassee faced an all-too-familiar problem of finding just the right place to put the Christmas tree. But what she didn't expect was that her solution to the problem would have some additional, unexpected benefits. One of our Christmas traditions started on accident. It all started when my husband and I went to a local tree farm to find our tree. We searched and searched and finally found the perfect tree. We cut it down, we brought it home. We quickly found out that the perfect tree was way too big for our living room. We arranged and rearranged the furniture to make room for our giant tree, but it just wouldn't fit. Finally, frustrated, we decided to move the entertainment center and the TV out of the living room and leave the tree in its place. We spent the season playing games, hosting family get-togethers, enjoying our beautiful tree, and not missing the television at all. We did sneak in a couple Christmas movie nights, though, where we got cocoa and treats and watched movies from our bedroom. We loved it, and we decided to implement a new family tradition. From then on, every Christmas season, a beautiful tree, although not such a giant one will stand in the place of our television, reminding us of a funny memory and a wonderful family Christmas. Now I have to admit that growing up, a lot of my Christmas memories involved the TV. I grew up on Frosty and Rudolph and Charlie Brown like a lot of you did. And since I grew up in the 80s, I also saw my fair share of He-Man and Cabbage Patch Kid type Christmas specials. But one of my favorite non-TV activities was driving around to look at all the Christmas lights. We'd pile into the back of my mom's Chevy Caprice Classic station wagon, turn on the Christmas station, and visit the neighborhoods that went all out on the light displays. That's something Jamie in California can relate to. One of my favorite Christmas memories from childhood was driving around with my family at night, looking at all the Christmas lights on people's houses. Except us kids wouldn't just look at them and ooh and ah or whatever. Somehow, we started this tradition where, whenever another decorated house came into view, we'd all say Christmas lights in very excited tones, as if we'd been hearing about them our whole lives and were only just now getting to see them for the first time. Once you factor in the sheer number of such houses in a typical residential neighborhood, plus the fact that there were seven of us kids, that meant our Chevy Suburban was an absolute cacophony of children's voices shouting something like this. Over there, are those Christmas lights? Christmas lights. Guys, guys, look, Christmas Whoa, lights. Whoa, Christmas lights. Christmas lights. Wow, Christmas lights. Christmas lights. lights. Whoa, Christmas lights. Christmas lights. Wow, Christmas lights. Christmas lights. Yeah, it's a wonder our parents didn't leave us at home more often during the Christmas season. Jamie is the host of the Word of the Day podcast, and if you check out a recent episode, you might just hear a familiar voice, because I joined him a while back to discuss the origin of the word plum, as in sugar plum. Check out Word of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. And speaking of driving around, the Christmas season is a perfect time for a long car trip. There's so much to see and so many great songs to listen to on the radio. And when all of that is new and unfamiliar to you, it's even more exciting. That's something Delaney in Canada knows a lot about. So uh, I'm a Canadian. So my winters uh, growing up have you know, pretty consistently we got white Christmases. 
but my grandparents, like a lot of Canadian seniors, were actually snowbirds. So they would take their winters in Florida, uh, actually in Daytona Beach. So while I was growing up, every other Christmas, uh, we would drive down 24 hours, my parents taking turns and me and my sister in the back seat <laughs> sleeping most of the way. Uh, and we would drive down to Florida to my grandparents' place there and we would spend Christmas in Florida, um, you know, with palm trees. And on the way, we would always hear these, you know, American Christmas songs that weren't usually played on Canadian Christmas radio, like Meli uh, Kalikimaka, uh, which, you know, anytime I hear that song now, I'm just instantly brought back to these snowbird Christmases where we would, every Christmas Eve, spend the, uh, the evening before bed walking around in their, uh, their senior community neighborhood and looking at all the beautiful lights uh, wrapped around palm trees and just enjoying the, the warmth and and it was really magical, even though, you know, you kind of have this understanding of Christmas as white Christmas, but spending Christmases in Florida with my grandparents as a kid was a really special memory. Other than driving and listening to Christmas music and seeing Christmas lights, I've got to say that sledding is up there on the list too. I grew up in Massachusetts, so I know my way around a sled, and so does Christy in Chicago. Christy asked me to read this memory on her behalf, which I am happy to do. She writes, Last Christmas Eve, 2017, I had to work until 3.30 p.m., and my husband and I had plans to bring our two kids, then three and one and a half years, to church for evening mass. That morning it started snowing. When I got home that afternoon, I suggested to my husband that we forego mass that evening and take the kids to the sledding hill down the street instead. There was enough snow and both kids were old enough to go. When we bought the house five years prior, we always wanted to take our future kids to the hill in the winters to sled. But we didn't know at the time it would take a few rough years of infertility and adoption to make our family. So we bundled everyone up, walked down the street, and took the kids up and down the hill until everyone was too cold for another ride. Walking back home, my husband pulled the sled with the two kids riding along and me following behind. My husband turned around and said, That is exactly what I always pictured when we were going through all the hurdles to become a family. And I had actually been thinking the exact same thing right at that moment. It's my favorite Christmas memory. Well, thank you, Christy. And since we're talking about family, when it comes to visiting family and extended families in general, one of the big challenges is finding a way to see everyone and mixing families' traditions. Let's hear how Courtney in Texas navigates things. Christmas has always held a special place in my heart. I grew up in a small, close-knit family of four. We had many special Christmas traditions that seemed normal to me until I got older and realized that some of our traditions were a little untraditional. We often spent Christmas Eve and Christmas Day with one side of the family or the other, but it was important to my parents that we had our own Christmas celebration, just the four of us, sometime before our Christmas travels. While my family Christmas may seem very non-traditional to some, I've realized as an adult that it was the perfect scenario. My husband's family has a strict Christmas routine. We visit both sides of his family in one day on Christmas Day. Luckily, his grandparents' houses are only a few blocks away from each other. 
With such big families on both sides, it's so special to have a day that almost everyone is able to get together almost every year. So it works out well that my family never had a strict commitment to Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Now I get the best of both worlds at the holiday season. A traditional Christmas Day celebration with a big family and the special, unique Christmas traditions of my own small family. And then, of course, there's the opposite end of the spectrum, like when you're in a faraway place for the holidays. Robert is in Thailand this Christmas, but he's thinking fondly of his loved ones back in Washington with the help of some warm memories of his favorite Christmas story. My favorite Christmas tradition is my family reading The Polar Express by Chris Van Osberg every Christmas Eve. And I do not remember a single December 24th where we did not read the Christmas classic. It tells the story of a child riding a train to the North Pole and receiving the first gift of Christmas. In the end, it is about believing in Santa and the Christmas spirit. As a young child, sitting through the story was simply a part of the anticipation of Santa's visit and the joy of new toys. As I grew, I was confused by my parents' tears at the story, and later my older siblings crying in the final pages as well. But by the time I graduated college, I too was crying at the end of the book. This year I will be stuck in Thailand and will have to video chat into my family in Washington State as they read the book to my five nieces and nephews. I will see the wonder in their eyes as they prepare for Santa's arrival. Thinking of them, I will inevitably tear up as someone in the family reads the final sentence. Though I've grown old, the bell still rings for me as it does for all who truly believe. Merry Christmas. From stories about Santa to, well, stories about Santa, every child has at least one memory of meeting Santa growing up. And if you grew up in a small town, it was always a special event when Santa Claus came to town, like Joy in Wisconsin remembers. I live in the city now, but I grew up in a very small town in northern Wisconsin, the kind with two bars, two churches, and really not much else. When I was little, I would wake up on a Saturday morning sometime in December and be told by my parents that Santa Claus would be in town that day. Of course I was thrilled, but I would be simultaneously excited and just a bit nervous. Sometime in the afternoon, my parents would announce that it was time to see Santa. We would head downtown and pull up to the hardware store. There he was, standing in front. We would get out of the car and walk up to him. As I held tightly to my mom's hand, he would ask me what I wanted for Christmas. Then he would present me with a shiny red delicious apple and some of that chocolate-covered vanilla cream drop candy, which seemed to be a Christmas staple during my 1970s childhood. It didn't matter that I couldn't sit in his lap or have my picture taken with a fancy Christmas backdrop. I really didn't care or know any better. I didn't question where the reindeer or his sleigh were or why he was coming so far before the holiday to our tiny little town when he should have been at the North Pole getting ready. I was just thrilled out of my mind to see him. Things were just so much simpler back then. From hardware stores in Wisconsin to sorority breakfasts in Indiana, Santa definitely makes the rounds leading up to the big day. When my son was little, my favorite uncle, Uncle Bob, used to be Santa at the sorority breakfast with Santa that his wife's sorority put on. And I have a picture of my son at the age of four sitting on my Uncle Bob's lap. He is enthralled looking in the face of Santa. And I love that picture and I put it out every year because it 
it just brings such fond memories. My son is now 32. Uncle Bob has gone on to uh, to his reward. But that takes me right back there to watching him sit on my favorite uncle's lap and just be enraptured with sitting on Santa's lap. And that was Ray in Indiana. Now everyone knows that when it comes to Santa, you want to stay off that naughty list. One of the ways to get on it is to ask the wrong question, like this. Hey Siri, is Santa Claus real? Be careful. I don't want you to end up on the naughty list. And before there was Siri, there was Jeff's mom. Let's hear Jeff tell how she took care of business. Uh, When I was in grade school, apparently I had come home and told my mother um, that there was a boy in class who didn't believe in Santa Claus. And while I had told her this, I myself didn't doubt the existence of Santa Claus, but she took that to mean that I had doubts. So a week or two after that, I got this pretty red envelope in the mail. And it was addressed to me, and it was from the North Pole. And Santa had written me a Christmas card, and I was so excited. And I tore open that letter, and I started to read the card inside. Um, And it was Santa telling me that how disappointed he was in me that I no longer believed in him and that uh, he hoped that by writing to me he could restore my belief in the magic of the holiday and in him. Now, my mom had written that letter to me because she thought I didn't believe anymore, but there was no doubt in my mind that Santa existed, but I cried. I was firmly distraught that Santa didn't think that I believed in him anymore. And that influenced my belief in Santa so much, it firmed it up so much that until I was 12 years old, I believed in Santa Claus because he had written me a letter. That was Jeff in Ohio, and he's the front man for the band Axemaster. Well, we've heard from people talking about the season, the sights and sounds, the visits from Santa, So let's move on to that final phase of the season, Christmas Day itself, which of course starts in the morning. Sarah in Massachusetts is fond of the older traditions that inspired many of our modern Christmas customs. For my family, Christmas was not a religious holiday, but it was one about fellowship and love and charity and things like that. I read about a custom in Europe that went back to the ancient Celts of lighting bonfires on high hills at the solstices to honor the sun. Some scholars believe that at winter solstice, there was this sort of extra meaning of helping guide the sun back on the longest night of the year so it would make its appearance at the dawn and start that journey back into the light of the warmer months. I absolutely loved this idea, so I folded it into my Christmas tradition. So now, every Christmas morning, I get up before sunrise and carry a few candle lanterns to my back steps. I bring a basket of fruit and meat and bread and other goodies. I light the candles and let them burn in the dark, and I go to a special spot in my yard and leave the offerings for whatever neighbors may need it, be they hungry animals or winter spirits. And then I sit with my small lights and drink my tea and welcome the sun's return to drive away the dark and the cold. I'm 41 now, and I've never missed a Christmas morning. In my opinion, what else is fellowship and love and charity but human beings creating our own lights in the world against the darkness? So it seems fitting. And actually, leaving things out for the animals is still a very common tradition in some places. Like in Sweden, it's still common to leave out a sheaf of grain for birds on Christmas. And another one of the first things you do on Christmas morning is see what's in your Christmas stocking. 
Merrill in Georgia asked me to read this Christmas memory on her behalf. She writes, When I was little, Santa would always leave oranges in my sister's and my stocking. After we opened the gifts and ate breakfast and spent some time with our grandparents, my dad would cut up the oranges as a snack for my sister and me. For whatever reason, I'm not sure if it was because we were just kids and weird or because we wanted to be out of the spotlight for a few minutes, but we would take our orange slices and sit in the corner behind the Christmas tree and eat them. I remember laughing with my sister and shoving whole slices in our mouths and making faces at each other until our parents got suspicious that we might be doing something naughty and made us come out. We did this for years. Even today, my parents put oranges in our stockings. My sister and I no longer try to climb behind the tree, although we did try a couple of years ago and knock my parents' tree over. But we do cut up slices mid-morning and reminisce on Christmas when we were kids. My sister and I are both in our 30s now, and I'm a mom of a four-month-old named Wyatt. And although he cannot eat oranges yet, I still plan to put one in his stocking, and hopefully next year, when the whole family gets together, my sister and I can find a way to get him behind the Christmas tree and pass on this weird tradition of ours. And then, of course, the next thing you do on Christmas morning is open the gifts. We all have that one gift we remember better than all the rest, just like Carrie in Minnesota. One of my favorite Christmas memories is from when I was seven or eight years old, back in the 1970s. We had several relatives staying with us, so there were a ton of presents under the tree. We opened presents one at a time, which I loved because it stretched out the experience of Christmas morning for hours, and you felt just as excited watching someone else open a present as you did when you opened one. One present my sister and I received was a one-person puzzle of sorts called Perfection. There was a loud timer and about 50 pieces of all different shapes, circle, square, crescent moon, trapezoid, triangle, five-pointed star, six-pointed star, you get the idea, and you had to put them all in the right holes before the timer went off or the game board would pop up and your pieces would fly everywhere. I remember everyone tried it, kids, parents, and grandparents, and it was so much fun watching the adults when they failed and the board popped their pieces up everywhere. They flinched and screamed and laughed. My mom laughed so hard she had tears streaming down her face. I look back on that now and think about her willingness to play and to laugh at herself, and I try to be the same with my son. And that is going to bring things to a close. I hope that whatever you're doing this Christmas, you're surrounded by love and happiness, and that you get a chance to relive some old memories and create some new ones too. And who knows, maybe I'll be lucky enough to share some of them with the rest of the Christmas Past family sometime soon. Now the next episode will be our final for the 2018 Christmas season. Just like last year, I'll come to wish you a Merry Christmas, we'll do a Christmas 2018 year in review, and just generally wrap things up. Thank you to everyone who shared a memory in this episode or any other episode throughout the season. And let me remind you, as I always do, that Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California by yours truly, Brian Earle. Check out all the other great shows in the Christmas Podcast Network at christmaspodcastnetwork.com and visit christmaspast.media for more Christmas fun, as well as links to my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And I'll see you again on Christmas Eve.